So the last organic chemistry chapter we covered was haloalkanes and haloarenes, and now we're going to be starting with alcohols, phenols, and ethers. Now what is an alcohol? An alcohol is basically ROH, where you see an R, I mean, sorry, an OH attached to an sp3 hybridized carbon. A phenol is basically when an OH is attached to a benzene, directly, that is. And an ether is basically an alkoxy or a rhyloxy derivative of alkane. So it's basically an oxygen stuck in between um, either two alkyl groups, two aryl groups, or one alkyl, one aryl. You get the point. So now let's quickly compare their properties. Let's start with the bond length. The bond length is the least in phenols, whereas the bond length of alcohols and ethers are comparable. This is because the resonance in phenol between the carbon and the oxygen, you know, from the OH, gives it a partial double bond character, and this makes the bond shorter because bond order is inversely proportional to the bond length. Next is the bond angle. Um, the bond angle is the greatest in ethers and it's comparable, again, um, between the alcohols and phenols. This is because ethers have two bulky R groups and because of this there's a whole lot of repulsion that makes them move away and therefore gives rise to a bigger bond angle. And finally, in terms of acid strength, um, the phenols are much more acidic than the alcohols, which are more acidic than the ethers. Now, to start off with, if you look at phenols and alcohols, the acid strength of these two is more than that of ethers because in alcohols and phenols, the hydrogen is attached to a highly electronegative atom, the O. And between the alcohols and the phenols, um, the phenols are much more acidic because in this case, the carbon is sp2 hybridized, so it's a lot more electronegative, more polarity, easy dissociation. Now that we have those basics covered, let's start talking about alcohols. This segment is going to be all about alcohols only. Now, when we talked about haloalkanes and stuff, then we had like primary halides, secondary and tertiary halides on the basis of how many carbons are halide. Well, it's like our halide is connected to a carbon, right? And depending on how many carbons that this carbon that our halogen was attached to, that was connected to. If it was connected to one other carbon, then it would be called a primary halide. If it, if this carbon that the halogen was attached to was connected to two others, it would be a secondary. And if it was connected to three, it would be tertiary. And you can't go more than that. So apply the same logic here, except instead of having a halogen, you have an alcohol. And on the basis of that, you have primary, secondary, and tertiary alcohols. And just like we had allele halides, we have allele alcohols, and we have a benzyl alcohol too. We also talked about vinyl alcohols when, I mean, vinyl halides when we talked about the halo compounds. And a vinyl something is basically when um, our group is attached directly to the carbon that has a double bond with another carbon. Right, and vinyl alcohols are also called enols, en from the double bond and all from the OH. And enols are less stable whenever they're formed, so they tautomerize to form stable carbonyls. If you have an OH group at the end of the carbon chain, then it goes from an enol to an aldehyde. If you have an OH in the middle, it goes from an enol to a ketone. Now, it's not like every time you get a vinyl alcohol, it's unstable. 
there are some cases where it is stable, like if you take phenol, for example. Here it's stabilized via resonance. Now let's talk about how to make alcohols. The first way of making alcohols is from alkenes. What is an alkene? It's basically a carbon compound where you have a double bond between two or more carbons. But for our case, we'll just take a, a single double bond. So we have three different ways to make alcohols from alkenes. We have acid catalyzed hydration, oxymercuration, demercuration, and hydroboration oxidation. Now let's sort out how each of these are different from each other. Acid catalyzed hydration. The name tells you enough. It's acid catalyzed, so there's an H plus, and there's hydration, so it's H2O with H plus. If you look at oxymercuration, demercuration, it should tell you enough that there is an oxygen, a mercury, and you're somehow getting rid of the mercury. So for this, we have mercury acetate, you have water, and you have sodium borohydride, which is NaBH4. And finally, hydroboration oxidation. Hydroboration, we have a boro hydride, right? BH3. Oxidation, we need an O, so we have H2O2 and an OH minus. Now, let's do a quick recap of a little rule between before we go further, the Markovnikov rule and the Karash effect. Now, the Markovnikov rule basically says that when you add a nucleophile to, you know, a compound that has a double bond, then what happens is the negative part, say we're taking HCl, that's H plus and Cl minus, right? So the negative part adds on to the carbon that is much more substituted and the hydrogen goes to the carbon of the double bond that's least substituted. By most more substituted, I mean this carbon should have a lot more carbons around it and lesser hydrogens. And by being lesser substituted, I mean that it has more hydrogens than carbons around it. If you want an easier way to remember it, just think of how the rich get richer. Of the two carbons in the double bond, um, there's one carbon that has more hydrogens than the other. And this is the carbon that gets the hydrogen from whichever reagent we're using. So it already had a lot of hydrogens and it's getting one more. So the rich get richer. So yeah, and then the Karash effect is basically when you're using the HCl or whatever nucleophile, but this time you toss in a hydrogen peroxide, or just any peroxide for that matter. And when you toss in a peroxide into the mixture, the exact opposite happens. Whatever you would have expected with the Markovnikov rule, you get the exact opposite. The Cl- goes to the least substituted carbon of the double bond, and the H would go to the more substituted carbon of the double bond. And when we when this happens, we are said we say that we get an anti-Markovnikov product. So acid catalyzed hydration gives us a Markovnikov alcohol. Oxymercuration demercuration gives us again a Markovnikov alcohol, but hydroboration oxidation, the one with BH3, gives us an anti-Markovnikov alcohol. If you look at acid catalyzed hydration, it passes through a carbocation. And because of this, we can expect some rearrangements. But then when you look at oxymercuration demercuration, even though it does have a little carbocation somewhere in the middle, it's a concerted reaction. So it all takes place in a single step. It's super duper fast. And because of this, there's no rearrangement. 
Just like that, if you look at hydroboration oxidation, this is again a concerted reaction, which means it's a single step reaction. And again, we have no rearrangement. So let's start with acid catalyzed hydration. What exactly happens? Say we have ethene and we're trying to use H2O and H plus to make it an alcohol. First, we protonate the alkene to give us a carbocation. So basically what happens is the H2O combines with the H plus and gives us H3O plus, right? And this comes together with the alkene. It pulls off a pi, some pi electrons from the alkene and makes it a carbocation. It makes it an alkane with a plus charge on one of the carbons. After this, we add some water to the carbocation and the lone pair from the water really likes the carbocation and it forms an intermediate, right? And after this, we deprotonate whatever intermediate we've got and that is what gives us our alcohol. Or in this case, we put in ethene, we get ethanol. Now, if we use, one thing you should remember is if we use a dilute acid, it's hydration. If we use a concentrated acid, it's dehydration, right? And like I said, because the acid catalyzed hydration moves through the carbocation, we can expect rearranged products. Next would be hydroboration oxidation. So the deal with this thing is um, we use BH3, which is electron deficient. Right? And hydroboration oxidation, what does it do? It gives us an anti-Markovnikov alcohol, right? So this boron, it moves over to the sterically less hindered carbon of the double bond, and it forms a little complex. It makes um, a bond with the boron by shifting its pi electrons, and this just keeps happening. And because of this, it shares its pi electrons, so the other carbon has a free va valency, so it breaks an H, um, that was bonded with the B and it attaches to the C too. And again, there's a free valency going on here. So it all happens in a single step. And just like this, each of the hydrogens on the boron are replaced by an alkyl group and eventually in the presence of H2O2 and OH-, they break off, the OH attaches at the end and we get three moles of the respective alcohol. Finally, we come to oxymercuration, demercuration. Um, so here we have HgCOOCH3 twice. Um, COOCH3 is a very good leaving group, right? It develops a partial negative and the mercury gets a partial positive. What happens is this partial positive Hg attracts the pi electrons on the double bond and these pi electrons are given away. A more substituted carbon gets the positive charge, so this is why we get a Markovnikov product. And Hg has a d orbital and it stabilizes the plus charge by moving around its electrons. And just like this, the Hg stabilizes the carbocation so it doesn't need to look for more rearrangements, you know, to get its stability. And yeah. Just like that, we get our product. So yeah, it, it does that. It stabilizes the plus charge, and then there's a demercuration reaction with the sodium borohydride, NaBH4, that gives us our alcohol. Another way we can pre um, 
prepare alcohols is from the reduction. The reduction of what? The reduction of carbonyls, esters, carboxylic acids. So let's start with the reduction of carbonyls. Um, the first one would be our ketone, R double bond O R. Now, in the presence of a reagent, we end up getting an alcohol. If we have a ketone, we get a secondary alcohol. If we have an aldehyde, we get, I'm sorry, if we have a ketone, we get a tertiary alcohol. If we have an aldehyde, we get a secondary. If we have formaldehyde, we get a primary alcohol. So how do we make whichever product? First, we remove the double bond. We give the hydrogen to the oxygen and we give a hydrogen to the C, the carbon that the oxygen is bonded to. Now, what are the reagents that we can use for the reduction of these carbonyls? We have NaBH4, sodium borohydride, LiAlH4, lithium aluminum hydride, H2, PD on C, or nickel. Now, if you look at LiAlH4, um, it's a greater hydride donor than NaBH4. By hydride donor, I mean that the hydrogen comes out as H minus. Now, depending on how easily this H- comes out, we can decide the strength. And because aluminum is less acidic, I mean, less, sorry, less electronegative than boron, the H- snaps off LiAlH4 much easier, and because of that, it's a better reducing agent. Now, one thing we need to remember for the reduction of carbonyls is whatever attaches to the carbon is from the reagent. Whatever attaches to the oxygen is from the solvent. That being said, let's move on to the reduction of esters. What are we supposed to do? Um, we have an ester. For this, the reagents we can use are LiAlH4 or again H2PD on C. We're going to call this catalytic reduction. We can't use NaBH4 here. Note, note that because it's not very strong and it can't exactly help us out here. So how do we, you know, figure out what products we're going to get? If you look at an ester, it's an R, double bond R, and then C with the double bond O, and then that's connected to another single bonded O that's connected to an R. So the first thing we're going to do is break the bond between the double bond O and the single bond O, and then we convert each of them into an OH. Let's talk about the reduction of carboxylic acids. Carboxylic acid is an RCOOH. Now, for this, we get to use um, LiAlH4. We need a really strong reducing agent because there is a partial positive, I'm sorry, because the partial positive on hydrogen reduces because the electrons keep moving around from O. Right? And one thing we need to remember is that when we have a carboxylic acid, the resultant alcohol has the same number of carbons as the acid. Now, NaBH4 and H2PD on C can reduce acids. BH3 is a selective reagent and it works only for RCOOH and ROH. And LiAlH4 is often expensive. So, what they usually do is they take our carboxylic acid, they mix it in with some alcohol, a little bit of acid, they get an ester, and then using H2 and palladium on carbon, 
Um, they do what we did the last time. They break the single bond between uh, they break the bond between the single bonded O and the double bonded O, and they convert each of that into an OH. Now that we're done with that, let's just like do a quick recap of the reagents and maybe learn a little bit more. Let's start with LiAlH4, lithium aluminum hydride. It can reduce RC triple bond N to RCH2 and H2. It can reduce RNO2 to RNH2, and it can reduce an amide, RC double bond O and H2, to RCH2 and H2. And one thing we need to remember is that it can't reduce isolated double bonds, but when it's in conjugation with you know, a carbonyl, then LiH4, LiAlH4 can take action. And sterically hindered esters, like tertiary butyl esters, they're not reduced by H2 palladium on carbon. And the last way we make our alcohols is from Grignard reactions. I just realized a few days ago that I've been pronouncing it wrong all this time. It's not Grignard, it's Grignard. So, from Grignard reactions, if you have RMGX plus formaldehyde, primary alcohol, RMGX plus aldehyde, you have a secondary alcohol, RMGX plus ketone gives you a tertiary alcohol. That's about it. Now when we look at the physical properties, this applies for both alcohols and phenols. I'll be talking about phenols next. Um, the solubility, solubility-wise, the lower members of alcohols and phenols are soluble in water because they can form hydrogen bonds with water. In terms of boiling point, alcohols and phenols have higher boiling points than their corresponding hydrocarbons or halo compounds, ethers, carbonyl compounds, blah blah blah, of the same mass because they have intermolecular hydrogen bonding. Right, so when you do supply some energy, the first bout of energy will be to break the hydrogen bond. The second part of the energy you supply will be to turn it to a gas. Now, boiling point is directly proportional to molecular mass, inversely proportional to branching, proportional to polarity, directly proportional to intermolecular hydrogen bond, inversely proportional to intramolecular hydrogen bond, directly proportional to the cyclic nature, and directly proportional to the polarity. Next, we talk about the acid strength. The acid strength of an alcohol is directly proportional to the stability of the conjugate base, directly proportional to the presence of electron withdrawing groups, like minus I and minus R, inversely proportional to electron releasing groups, like plus I and plus R groups, directly proportional to the Ka value, and inversely proportional to the pKa value. Now, what are some chemical properties of these little alcohols? The first one would be esterification. An alcohol plus a carboxylic acid gives us an ester and water. And this is a reversible reaction, so the re reversibility is prevented by taking dehydrating agents like concentrated H2SO4. It, it's a dehydrating agent, right? So it takes away the water and moves the re uh, reaction in the forward direction. Um, the above reaction esterification is also used as a test for the carboxylic acid functional group. And on the basis of the steric hindrance provided by the alcohol. The reactivity order of different types of alcohols towards esterification is as follows. Primary alcohols are more reactive than secondary alcohols, which are more reactive than tertiary alcohols. Um, this is because the OH has to go in between the carboxylic acid, and if it's really bulky, it can't really do that. 
And finally, electron withdrawing groups on acids increase the rate of esterification by increasing the delta plus on the carbon and pulling the OH more. Now, when both COOH and OH groups are present within the same molecule, we have intramolecular esterification, and this gives us cyclic esters or lactones. And esterification is also called the acylation of alcohols. Um, it can also be done by using an acid chloride or an anhydride. What is an acyl? It's basically C double bond O attached to an R. Next is Lucas test. Lucas test is basically ROH in the presence or reacting with concentrated HCl and anhydrous zinc chloride, RCl plus H2O. This process is called Groove's process, the reagent is Lucas reagent. Now, in terms of the reactivity of the OH, tertiary is more reactive than secondary, which is more reactive than primary. This is because it passes through the carbocation. Now, how do we test for our OH using this Lucas reagent? Um, so first we have an ROH, an H2O, it's a clear solution, then if we add in Lucas reagent, we're going to get a cloudy solution. This is because we see the formation of RCL and that doesn't really mix with everything. And when this happens, we notice immediate turbidity for tertiary alcohols. Turbidity within like two, three minutes for secondary alcohols and no turbidity at all for primary alcohols. We're gonna have to warm it. And by turbidity, I mean it gets really cloudy. So if you drop in some Lucas reagent in an alcohol and it gets really cloudy, like in a second it's tertiary, within five minutes it's secondary, not at all, it's primary. Next would be dehydration. So basically what happens is um, we have an ROH, concentrated H2SO4, removes an OH and an H gives you H2O, you end up with a double bond. So the steps are the protonation of the OH and then it loses that um, protonated OH to get a carbocation and this carbocation um, it reacts with the water and it gives you an alkene. Because it passes through the carbocation the reactivity of OH towards dehydration would be tertiary greater than secondary greater than primary. Rearrangements are possible. We can also use other dehydrating agents like concentrated H2SO4, P2O5, Al2O3, H3PO4, um, POCl3 and KHSO4. With Al2O3 we don't see any rearrangements though. Next would be the dehydrogenation. Um, for dehydrogenation we basically use copper at like really high temperatures like 300 degrees Celsius. If we have a primary alcohol two hydrogens are kicked off, one from the carbon that the OH is bonded to and one from the actual OH we end up with an aldehyde if you take if you dehydrogenate an alcohol secondary alcohol you get a ketone and if you use a tertiary alcohol you don't get any dehydrogenation at all because you need to have an alpha hydrogen in the first place next would be oxidation um, Oxidation is usually for just our primary alcohols, so what happens is, um, from the primary alcohol, if we use, you know, a mild oxidizing agent like PCC, which is basically um, CrO3 in an anhydrous medium, we only take the oxidation up to the state where the primary alcohol becomes an aldehyde. 
If we want to make our primary alcohol a carboxylic acid, then we have to use a strong dehydrating agent. So I'm sorry, a strong oxidizing agent like KMnO4, K2Cr2O7, or Jones agent, which is basically um, KRO, CrO3 plus aqueous H plus acetone. Now, why can't we do this with ketones? This is because it's hard to reduce a ketone because we have to break a CC bond, which is harder than breaking a CH bond. Ketones resist further oxidation under normal conditions, but can be oxidized at very high temperatures with really strong oxidizing agents like KMnO4 and HNO3, and this gives us a carboxylic acid.